everyone. Um, welcome back for another edition of The Inn with Dr. Tim. And I'm so excited tonight to have um, such a, uh, just an all-star uh, cast with us tonight to really kind of dive into some of the mental health challenges that um, our athletes have been facing. And as Dr. Shane Murphy and I have had some recent discussion on, they are fairly immense. They're not only immense for us as individuals, but they're even more amplified for those who participate in sport. So let me start off with Tawny. Tawny um, Moore is a professional 100 meter hurdler. Um, she is represented by Agogi. Um, is that Agogi. Agogi, Tawny. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, she's currently pursuing the 2024 Olympic trials. She is a 2019 NCAA All American performer four-time Big Sky Conference champion, 100-meter hurdle Big Sky Conference record holder, Weber State University 60-meter and 100-meter hurdle, hurdle record holder with a 100-meter hurdle PR of 13.03. So please don't try to catch her. You're going to hurt yourself. Um, Tawny has 14 years of track and field experience and enjoys working um, with youth athletes in developmental skills and mechanics. During the day, she works as a marketing professional, and when not training or working, you can find her working on hand-burned designs with wood projects of all natures, um, and then also she, she's very much into outdoor photography. So thank you, Tony, for being here tonight and taking the time. Thank you. Now, Ben, Ben is more on the sort of recreational, but super competitive side of sport. He is a competitive sport uh, strength sport athlete and weight loss transformation success story. Uh, born in obstacle course racing after sustaining career ending injuries in firefighting and emergency medical services. Now, while not preparing for his next strongman competition or Spartan trifecta, uh, Ben coaches those wanting to change their lifestyle by removing common barriers in getting active mentally and physically. And really, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, guys, is these barriers to being active and physical and what COVID has done to that and creating those barriers, but how do we overcome them and how have we done it? And with that, Dr. Shane Murphy um, is going to be joining us tonight and he's going to help us kind of navigate um, those challenges and obstacles and how best to overcome them with our athletes and maybe ourselves as athletes too. So Dr. Shane Murphy uh, is a professor of psychology at Western Connecticut State University in Danbury, Connecticut, where he teaches clinical sport and health psychology. He is a graduate coordinator of the master's of science program in addiction studies, a program to train drug and alcohol counselors, which he spent five years developing. Shane was formerly head of the United States Olympic Committee's sports psychology department and worked with the USA team at the 1998, 1992, and 1996 Olympics. Shane is a past president of the Society of Sport, Exercise, and Performance Psychology at the American Psychological Association and received their Bruce Olgavi Career Achievement Award in Applied Sports Psychology in 2008. He is a fellow of the APA. Not easy to do, people. <laughs> and he received the Distinguished Pract uh, Professional Practice Award in Sports Psychology in 2000 from the Association of Applied Sports Psychology, the AASP. His books include the Oxford Handbook of Sport and Performance Psychology, Sports Psychology Interventions, the Sport Psych Handbook, the Achievement Zone, which is amazing and what I got me cooked into Dr. Shane Murphy. Um, and... He's also written The Cheers and the Tears. 
He has given invited addresses in more than 10 countries, including Japan, Belgium, Australia, Portugal, Ireland, and South Korea. His research focuses on the use of imagery in sport, burnout in gamers, and the assessment of psychological performance skills. And this was his short bio. <laughs> so we are so psyched to have Dr. Shane Murphy with us tonight and really, really appreciative for our athletes joining us to really just talk about their experiences. And so with that, Dr. Murphy, I'm, I'm going to turn the floor to you a little bit to speak with our athletes and, and really kick off um, uh, this, this uh, episode of the end. Well, thanks, Tim. And uh, thanks for inviting us. And it's really nice to meet uh, Ben and, and uh, Tony. So when Tim and I were thinking about this, you know, one of the questions that uh, jumps out at us immediately is how did the pandemic affect us, you know, in terms of training uh, and, and competition? And the thing I think about uh, in, in talking with a lot of the folks that I work with is, you know, this is a once in a lifetime event. None of us that are born today ever had a worldwide pandemic to deal with, right? The last time was 1917 to 1920. So uh, a little bit before our, all our times. So maybe just a general question, you know, what, what do you think were some of the big uh, impacts that it had on you? I think one of the big thing was there is both physical, physiological, and, and certainly mental blocks and barriers that, that I experienced as well as the people in my, in my community and who I work with. And so it was extremely difficult because, I mean, a lot of these places shut down. Uh, the common public that aren't professional athletes didn't have facilities to train in. Uh, we saw a surge in home gym equipment go up. You couldn't buy anything. And even then, they lost a sense of community and purpose that they had before. I think a lot of us, if we're not working toward a goal or an event or a number, it's kind of like, well, what's the point in doing it? I, I'm not just going to go to the gym to go to the gym. And so when those events and these these goals got canceled and we're no longer on the agenda, I think it hit a lot of people square in the face and like, okay, well, what's the point? I can train at home, but if I'm not working toward anything mentally, mentally and physiologically, like, I think it was a little bit deflating. Yeah, I agree a, with that. Sorry. No, no, those are really important factors. I'd like to come back to that, but Tony, what, what, how do you, did you see it in, impacting your life? So for me, it was a little, um, a lot of the same things that Ben was saying. Um, I graduated college in 2019 and the 2020 Olympic trials were that following year. So my original plan was just to go straight from my collegiate training right into the, the trials in June. Um, and it was kind of funny because I spent that fall, the, the fall of 2019, just really focused and more dedicated than ever. I was on the first um, brink of getting my um, my first sponsorship, and so I was really focused, really dedicated. And then the I mean the pandemic hit, and everything just kind of just stopped. My whole world was just put a you know to the brakes were just put on for everything, and it was kind of weird because for the last six years I had been in college and it was just go 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 all the time. I was competing every single weekend, and you know school everything, all the homework, all the reading, the end of everything that came along with it, everything was just done because I had graduated college as well. So it was like, okay, I'm done with school. I'm done with competing, I guess. What do I do? You know, I had to get into the real world at this point. And it was like, okay, how do you get into the real world when everything's shut down? So it was very hard to figure out, okay, how do I, how am I going to navigate this? What am I going to do next? 
you know, one of the things that makes me think of is like, it's, it's been, I think, perceived by most of us as a really negative thing, the pandemic, right? In many ways, it, it's affected us very negatively, but from crisis comes opportunity, right? So how can we learn from that? What lessons do we take from it? And a couple of things that I'm really hearing really important for both of you, Ben and Tony, is one is just the importance of, you know, routine and, and structure. And when that's suddenly all taken away, like, how do you replace that? Who replaces that? Is that my responsibility? How do I come up with that? Like, what? how do I structure something when everything that I've sort of relied upon in the past uh, is, is just suddenly, you know, shut down for a while? And, uh, you know, I wonder if you, if you learned some lessons uh, from that in, in sort of, you know, taking care of yourself and, and taking control of things for yourself. I was just going to say, along with the, the self-care component um, of this whole thing, I had to learn that I was not all track and field, that my identity was not placed in just the track and field, even though that was a big challenge. That was also a really positive thing for me to see because for six years, well, actually up to at that point, it was longer than six years, 10 years. I That's all I did. And for me, like finding okay, now I need to find a job. Now I need to get into my career. Now I need to find, okay, rediscover my love for photography or my love for artistic endeavors, other things like that. Seeing those things outside of what I was pursuing as far as track went, that really helped me find a way to express and get that frustration out, but also find a new light and um, develop a new understanding of how I train and why I train. Yeah, that's, boy, that's, that's really powerful. Again, going to make a note of that and come to back to that in, in just a second, but uh, I want to let Ben also jump in there. For me, like I'm at a different point in my life. I mean, I just turned 39 years old. I started my weight loss transition and my journey from going from a 380 pound person with a busted body and a lack of purpose in my early thirties. So I'm about six years into this now. And for me, not having access to those routines and those goals and those objectives was deflating for me. I couldn't realign to another thing. I'm at a point where I, I have a day career. I have financial security. I have purpose outside of that. But my physical fitness and my strength and strongman and my ability to take care of myself is something that has become so ingrained in my purpose and in my psyche that for me to lose that was was almost like losing part of my identity. And so for me, Dr. Murphy, it was really like, what can I do to keep that going? I wasn't really able to go venture in other things, but it was like, okay, what can I do in my home? Is there a private facility that, you know, I could find that I could work within guidelines of making sure I felt safe and those around me were safe? Uh, is there things I can do mentally with my game and visualization as an athlete to see if that could propel me. So for me, it was a lot of finding a private facility. And unfortunately I do have a, for those of us that are strong men or power lifters, a lot of us don't fit into commercial gyms. We'd get kicked out because we're loud and have chalk and can be intimidating and noisy. And so, and they don't have the equipment we use. So luckily I had a private place that I could go to where I'd be the only one in there. We'd have to, you know, have a certain time we'd schedule to come in. And so that gave me, I guess you could say, a life vest to keep moving. And number two, I really focused on my mental game, my, my meditation, my athlete visualization, 
going through lifts, going through competitions in my head and just having hope that, okay, eventually we're going to get back to this. And when it does, I don't want to be ahead of the power. I don't want to be behind the power curve. I want to be ahead of the power curve. I, I, I love, yeah, go ahead. Tim. Oh, I just, I just, I just wanted to key in on something real quick. And it's, it's, it's something I read in your, your writing, Dr. Murphy. And it's something that typically I, I guess we're aware that happens to athletes when say the Olympics are over or their training is over, or let's say they have a career ending injury, you know, per se that they go through like, um, an identity crisis, uh, or like an identity foreclosure, right. In that, you know, I think about the NFL and, and the, you know, the professional players and, you know, they built up their whole life for it. And then they, something happens and it's over, <laughs> you know, right. And then like, like what Tony says, what do I do now? Um, and so I think for athletes who I've dealt with, I have seen that be um, something that they're not quite ready for. And maybe what you're driving at is like, okay, so did COVID maybe prepare us for the future of, of what potentially is going to be our new reality? But I can hear some of that angst. And even from Ben, who was like, well, this affects like my identity of when I was heavy. You know, like now that's kind of being transposed to the future. So I just, I just wanted to interject there to say it almost sounds like almost like a housing crisis. Like there was an identity foreclosure that COVID brought down on us. That happens at the micro level as well. I think after every competition, I get depressed and I, I finally went to my coach and I'm like, I had a really good competition. I placed where I wanted to, I hit all my goals. I'm driving home from wherever it's from or flying home and I feel, I feel horrible. I feel depressed. I feel down. And a lot of times we even get physically sick. And obviously there's some CNS issues and some physiological issues that make us, but I think I always end up with a cold or I get sick for a few days after. And I think mentally I'm just drained. And I don't know if I just squeezed all the, you know, all the oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine out of my brain. And I'm trying to recover from that. But I think even outside of a career, I just think on the event level, and I don't know how it is for Tani, but I know in strength sports, I mean, typically we don't go like five, six, seven, eight a year. You prepare for one, two, three, or four competitions a year, and that's it. And so after each one, I think it's a little bit more substantial is the impact that, that Tim highlighted. So food for thought on that. Typically the track season, we're just like nonstop from basically the end of February all the way up until June. And it's, I mean, you have maybe one or two weekends that you're not traveling. And I can kind of relate to that feeling of like, okay, I competed well, I placed where I wanted to, or I meddled or whatever it is. And then you go home and you're like, okay, I'm, why am I sad? I competed to the best of my abilities, but it's almost like you don't know where to go next until you can settle into that groove of training for the next thing. That's just kind of my take on it. Well, I think, as Tim said, you know, something that really strikes me, and I've actually heard this from a lot of athletes over the last year, I've done some workshops, you know, here in Connecticut for uh, high school athletes that lost all their senior year of sports. And uh, I tell you, for them, it was almost like the grief process, right? Because like, they're not going to get that back. There's nothing in their future that will replace like being a high school senior, you know, but the, the whole identity thing, as, as you said, Tim, it's very reminiscent uh, for me of when I used to work with uh, Olympic athletes. And I was very lucky. I, I uh, helped develop a program called the Career Assistance Program for Athletes 
uh, way back in the, the 1990s. I sound like my grandfather now, or back in my day. Um, but uh, some wonderful sports psychologists uh, by the name of Albert Pettipar and Stephen Danish and, and Bob McElvain uh, assisted me. And we worked with hundreds and hundreds of athletes. And this was a, an issue that we heard from all of them was that like once the Olympic career was over, it really triggered this like, who am I now? Like Olympic gold medalists that were like famous people were like, I don't know what to do with the next step in my career. You know, should I start selling used cars? You know, some businessman came and made me that offer, you know, because that's something. And uh, it, it's all about really finding what what you really want to do. And so in a, in a strange way, the COVID crisis, the pandemic has sort of, I think, maybe helped us a little bit with that. I think, you know, what Tony's saying is like, she's already confronted some of these issues now. She didn't have to wait till the end of her career. That is a good way to look at it. And I am, um, even though the, the pandemic was very, very difficult for many reasons, it really did help me open my eyes to just see that one day, even though the track, track endeavors are still going to continue, um, for me at least right now, at, at this point in my life, but someday they will come to an end. And having the opportunity to have a year where it was completely, everything was just completely stopped and I wasn't pursuing track um, for one reason or another, having that opportunity really did help me a lot and it will help me in the future too for when that time comes, when it is time to quit, um, to stop running. So I am grateful for the opportunity, even though it was very difficult. Do you think it, it it's helped put things a little bit in perspective too when you compete or is that too much to, to ask? I think it has um, now because the, okay, let me, so when I was starting to train back before 2020 hit um, my, I was so focused on just this goal of training, conditioning. That's it. That's all I, I slept, breathe, eat, everything was track. And then having that ability to see that this is not all that's important in my life. It's given me opportunity to see that, you know, even though this meet, this track meet doesn't go well, it's not the end of the world. And I've given myself the opportunity to say confidently that even if the goals that I have for my, my endeavors in track and field, if that doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world for me. When five years ago, 10 years ago, if you would have asked me the same question, I would have been distraught and would not have been able to answer with a mature answer like this now. But being able to see that there are other things in my life that are just as important as track um, is, that seeing those things and being able to have the opportunity to pursue them now has given me different directions in my life that I'll one day be able to be okay walking away from it and that kind of thing. Can I, can I just kind of note something really quick? <laughs> I've heard both Ben and, and Tawny kind of reference that the pandemic is kind of in the past. And so I think we're still in this pandemic era right? Um, I'm fully aware, you know, there's events starting to happen and people are starting to do track and things of that nature. But I'm wondering, and, and I could be jumping in here, Dr. Murphy, are you guys anxious at all? Are you kind of, you have some anxiety that things are going to shut down again? Because if you watch what's happening in Europe, it doesn't look good, right? And so 
there's that kind of question. And then I got another sort of fireball to throw at you, Tawny. I'm going to be, I'm going to play like I'm a coach, you know, like I don't care about mental health. I'm just a coach. No, no coaches care about mental health. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like coaches are hard driving and they, they, they want the last little piece out of your turnip, right? They want the last little juice out of you. Right. So right. some might say, because now you don't have this ultra ultra singular focus of track or nothing that you might not train as hard. You might not perform as hard. So two part question. One, how are you feeling about maybe, and just recognizing we're still in the pandemic era, right? still going on that things could happen. And then number two, even though you've had this amazing positive mental health experience, which Dr. Murphy's pointing out, which I think is amazing. It's awesome. I don't think all athletes had that by the way. Um, has it affected your training? Has it affected your mental mindset? You know? Yeah, it's, this is a question that I have to bounce back and forth with myself often. And it's, it comes down again to the, like, what's important for me and what do I see myself pursuing? Um, yes, I do have anxiety about the upcoming season and just, just the things that come along with, um, the meets and getting to those track meets and the traveling and the what the COVID restrictions or regulations, all those things that are going to come along with all these track meets now. There is anxiety with that. And yes, there are times where the training is almost impossible to get to just because it's, it's, it's hard to, for because of the results of the last, all of the things that happened at, like as a, a, that have accumulated over the last year, it's, hard to, it's sometimes hard to see, okay, where this next, this next step in my, my pursuit, we'll just call it that, that next step, I am nervous because of the, not lack of training, but because of how much I've had to adjust over the last two years, how it's going to affect me for the next three, because I have been so, you know, nonstop, go, go, go all the time. Um, when I was in college to now to this point where I've worked a full-time career for a year now and kind of adjusting to those different things. But I would say that even though there is anxieties and there's fears about it, I am driven by those things, um, especially the fear component. I perform my best when I am at the most, um, like the heightened level, I guess is what you want to call it. Like for example, when I'm at a track meet, that's really, you know, prestigious, high importance, you know, you could, win money, those kinds of things. Those are usually when my best races come out. And for the training component, having that fear, having that anxiety kind of be behind the scenes of that has given me a lot of, a lot more clarity for my dedication. Because if I had fears that were going to stop me, then I would have already stopped training by now. But my fear for the season, for the anxiety, all the things that kind of have accumulated over the last year, it's given me a lot of, a lot more perspective and my fire for my sport has grown even bigger than it ever has. And sure. There's still times where my training, maybe one day, maybe one week isn't as um, intense as it should have been, but I don't look at it as like cut and dry anymore. If I don't, if one week, let's say my lifting doesn't go as well as I want it to, I don't look at it as you failed. You need to do better. You need to be a better athlete. You need to do this better. I've looked at it as, okay, let's address what's happening. What's going on. Let's see the world around you. Let's focus on the things that are 
maybe hindering your performance at lifting, at running, whatever those things are. Let's take a look at those things, those outside factors, and let's rein it in, bring it back and see what we can do to, to fix it, make it better and move forward with it. Instead of punishing myself, it's moved into a, okay, I'm recognizing these things. Let's see what's going on and let's address it as we go. Ben, did you want to comment on, I guess, how you have kind of broached those areas as well? Yeah, I think it's in strength sports, it can be a little different, especially in strongman, because for those that don't know strongman, there's probably some of those listening that, that aren't aware of what it is. Strongman is a strength sport where you either are pushing, pulling, or pressing, or walking very large weights that are very awkward in shape and size. And every event and competition is going to be a little different. And so when you sign up for a competition or you get ready for a competition, you are preparing for those events specifically. And so a competition might be three months or six months out. So you will start a training cycle to prepare to do those events. Now, there's a lot of things you can work on accessories and, you know, basic push, pull, press, walk movements, endurance movements to prepare your body. But it's been really difficult because if that event gets canceled, everything you just prepared for is now out the window. Right. And so I think what the problem has been in the strength community is that a lot of these people are on the fence about even signing up for something because they're not sure if it's going to be canceled. So I've seen a lot of peers and people just kind of say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to shut down for a bit and just take a hiatus and take a, a physical and mental break and wait till maybe competitions and events are a sure thing. And there's people like myself that where it's part of my identity, um, I get extremely grumpy and, and unhappy and depressed if I'm not in a gym six days a week pushing, pushing hard for something. And I, I think a lot of us, at least even in the amateur athlete, those outside of just going to the gym to stay in shape, like we have to have a goal, an event, a purpose or a number that we're going for. If I don't have that number or that event or that time that I'm shooting for, I don't have the motivation and the willpower to keep going. And I think that played a vital, had vital negative impact on myself as well as some of my peers in the strength community. So we've had to kind of rally and be like, all right, well, how do we, how do we broach this? What do we do differently? So we just have to go at it and say, well, the event's going to happen or it's not, we're still going to prepare for it like we would if it's going to happen. And we've had a lot of events get canceled since the pandemic. We've also had a few that have happened. Ben, one thing that really excited me and struck me was you talking about how you've used mental strategies, visualization, and, and uh, you know, thinking it, it through in your mind. Um, how did you come across those? How did you develop those strategies? And it sounds like you've also uh, made it part of your life's work to sort of like help other people uh, along those lines. You know, do you find that they're receptive to what you're teaching them in that area? Some people think it's woo-woo. <laughs> they really do. Uh, my coach, David Edgel of the shop, uh, he's a renowned strongman and powerlifter, probably one of the frontiermen of modern day power sports and even in bodybuilding. He is one of those that, that really started working on my mental game and saying, you need, if a movement's difficult or hard and I'm having to think about it, we have to get it programmed so it becomes a reflex. You know, like Tawny, I'm sure when she, when she starts off the block, she's not even thinking about that. She knows her first step, right? She knows her turn up. I have to program each move I do. So when I go into it, I know exactly what I'm doing. I don't even have to think about that movement. 
that motor neural pattern is such a reflex that I'm not even worried about it anymore. And so a lot of that going to your point, Dr. Murphy comes down to visualization for me in an event, it, it starts in the hotel room. I wake up in the morning before an event and I have a very, very strategic specific cycle that I go through that starts with meditation, how I put on my, my, my outfit or whatever, whatever's required for the event, uh, drive into the event and, and even some like NLP programming that I've used to even trigger flight or fight circumstances. And so that visualization is there. I mean, you look at um, the heaviest deadlifter in the world was Eddie Hall. He pulled a 500 kilogram lift. He had um, a hypnotherapist work with him to literally program him to put him in a flight or fight stage so he could pull that. And it was a very negative scenario that he won't even share in public. But basically, it was something where his kids were in a certain situation and he had to do something to do it. And if anyone goes and looks at that lift and type in Eddie Hall 500 kilogram, you will see him like basically black out as he does that. He doesn't even remember doing it. And so he would play. I have songs I will play. I will have sounds I play. And that will literally program a trigger in me so I can actually fire what I want to and act on reflex. So the counter to that is, is, okay, when I can't do the physical, I don't have access to a gym. I've also programmed myself mentally when I'm not doing that, when I have to stay home or I have to rehab an injury. So it works on both fronts for me. Yeah. I hope that answers your question a little bit. Well, I, you know, you and I and, and Tony and, uh, and Tim could probably spend like another couple of hours just talking about that topic, you know, the visualization and uh, the links with the mind. That's where I first got started in sports psychology. I was doing my doctorate in clinical psychology at Rutgers University. And uh, the clinical study I was researching failed and I was scanning around for something else to do. And I ended up doing this study on visualization and the use of motor imagery. And um, I've just, you know, spent my whole career, um, you know, that being one of my main research areas. And, and to your point, Ben, you know, one of the exciting things that we've discovered just in the last 10 years is that the psychomotor neurons from the brain to the, the peripheral nervous system that are activated when you're using imagery, it's the same system as when you're actually performing. So, you know, when you're rehearsing in imagination, as far as your brain and body is concerned, you're getting a lot of benefit from rehearsing that as well. I literally just spiked. I started shaking because I just heard it in my head and my heart just jumped to 115 just by talking about it. So if I play a certain song, I have a song for different events. Oh boy. Like I have one. I, it literally can, it literally can turn on like that flight or fight, that nervous system will fire and it's there. And it's so crazy to be able to program that to where I tell people don't play that song unless I'm going to be doing this. If that comes on in a car or something, uh Oh, so, um, I think it's really powerful, Dr. Murphy. And I don't think a lot of athletes or people, people in kind of in my world of kind of the amateur competitive level haven't really looked at that yet, or they haven't realized the power of that. You know, it's like even smells like I'll, I'll think of the, the feel of the bar in my hands. I'll think of the feel of my feet on the floor. I'll think of the smell of the rubber in the gym. You know, all those things go into that visualization. And I think I spend as much time in visualization as I actually do going and doing, performing the activity. Yeah. And it makes so much sense during a pandemic, right? When some of the things that we would normally have access to are taken away, if you're good at that, you know, and you, you know, some of the strategies, you can do some visualization, learn some imagery that can help replace some of the routine and the resources that, that you've lost. Um, 
you know, I, I would imagine, Tim, that that comes a lot up a lot for injured athletes, right? Because they can't do some of the training that, that they normally would do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things we, even for healing here at the Positional Life Therapy Institute that we encourage, I often will provide our patients um, sort of meditations where they visualize the blood flow. And actually I had a recent conversation um, with Ben um, and I was like, I need you to visualize the blood actually going to your tendon and these other cells coming in and fixing this and laying down. And so, you know, I, I've had so many athletes in, in my career approach me and, you know, I, I'm, I have a strength conditioning background as well. And I train them and so forth. And they'd be like, Tim, how do I, how do I get over this next, you know, competition? How do I beat this next hurdler? I mean, what is it? I mean, we have the same sort of parameters. We have the same sort of history. Why did, why are they better than me? And I was like, I, and I just say to my first question, I says, so how much time do you spend on your mental game? And they'd look at me like, um, what are you talking about? what do you mean mental game? And I was like, um, right. Are you doing imagery? Are you, are you meditating? Are you kind of working on this? Cause you do it a lot of work down here, but you know, what controls down here is, is, is this right. <laughs> and so it's really interesting. It comes to a big shock. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to be an advocate here and I, I don't know where the APA comes in on this or, you know, the sports psychology world, I really think we should probably be teaching this to young athletes at a very young age, that it's a healthy thing, give them the tools. Because as I'm listening to this, I mean, I, I've taught athletes this and I've done it myself, but I think a lot of people out there, Dr. Murphy, and I, I think maybe Ben is pointing to this, is like, how do they start? Like, do they just like, okay, I just think about it. Like, like I, I, I know there's some very like succinct sort of research and protocols on this. And, you know, of course, I'm not the one to talk about this, but um, how do, how do we help people with this sort of vital tool during a pandemic era that they probably need to do on a regular basis? Well, I think, you know, the, the things that Ben was talking about are in fact supported by researchers as the very things that make imagery more powerful. So making it more realistic, building in, you know, the, not just the, the visualization, but the feel, the kinesthetic feel, the smells, the touch and, and everything like that. You know, even we find that like rehearsing, like, like standing up and going through the motions, you know, uh, Tawny's nodding. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she's found some of that with hurdling as well. But um, yeah, you can you learn those skills at a young age. And, and for me, what I've focused on in my career is working with youth sport coaches, uh, and that, that was part of what my book, The Cheers and the Tears, uh, was about, a healthy alternative to, uh, to the dark side of youth sports. Because if youth coaches know how to build it in when they're teaching, for example, learning new skills, right? Here's how you do it, visualization, you know, and then you can also then build upon that. Or you can also use it for a little bit for teamwork and, and understanding how to, you know, turn a double play together and, and things like that. Um, you know, coaches can can reach 10, 15, 20 athletes and uh, they can do it a lot faster than I can. So I, I really think it, it, it's through having better trained youth sport coaches myself. That's something that I was going to say too. Um, one of the philosophies that I have with um, my youth coaching, the kids that I work with is the importance of mental training. Um, I had an opportunity early on in my career where I was able to identify that, that the brain and the mental capacity that you have and how much power that you realize that you really have once you learn that 
once you can control up here, you have a lot of things that you can keep centered and they won't go out of control and that kind of thing. I've noticed a lot of um, youth that I've seen in the past, they have, they get to the competitions and they're feeling ready, they're feeling good. But when it comes to step up to the line, I see a lot of anxiety and nerves and that kind of stuff and which is normal that's like you're getting pumped up you're getting excited but one of the things I think is very important um, for coaches both now and the future is that we teach that teach them the importance of being in control of what's going on up here if you are going into a track meet or any type of competition or anything in life if you're going in scared not not knowing what's going to happen all these thoughts that are kind of running out of control, that's gonna really play a huge role on the outcome of your performance. And if you can learn just to reel it in, keep calm, just take in everything with your senses and be in the moment, that's gonna help you a lot. For me, before I discovered that, I was very bad about picturing the end result of the race and having it not go as how I wanted it to go. And that would affect me a lot. I would stumble out of the blocks or my first couple hurdles were bad or the time wasn't what I wanted. And I just came to a realization that that's not going to help me at all. So I've learned to, to teach both myself and the, the youth that I work with that it's important to see your success and see that, that time, see that throw, see that mark, see anything that you are wanting and picture that picture it all day long. Like I have a specific time that I've been wanting to hit for a very long time. And I have written that down and it's posted in front of my, my mirror in my car. It's everywhere. I can't, I can't not see it. And because of me having that everywhere I go, it's really helped me see and develop the confidence that I need to go into these track meets without having that fear that it's going to go wrong or having that anxiety that I might mess up on something. Yeah, the emotional, an emotional barrier is just as relevant as a physical barrier. I mean, in strength sports, we have personal records or PRs, right? And I've seen myself, I can, from a vulnerable standpoint, I know I'm physically capable of moving a certain weight, but I've had times where emotionally I have a, I have a barrier there. I don't think I can do it. And to Tani's point, if any doubt creeps in, it ain't going to happen. And that's one of those things where she says, seeing the actual successful execution of that maneuver, that activity is critical. So before, even just the, even, even more important than just the setup and the precursor to doing it, seeing yourself going across that finish line, seeing yourself walk out that lift, that is so important to think of. And I like what Tani said. She said, live in the moment. I think that's one of the most important things. And in a strong man, we have usually five events, sometimes across two days, I can't be thinking of the next event when I'm currently on the one I'm on. I just have to say, or if I did really bad on the first event, now I'm going to the second event. I've had to really mentally hone my game to say, Hey, I'm not, I don't need to worry about that. I'm only going to focus on what I'm doing right now in this moment and seeing myself do that and complete it and finish it at the level that I know I can do. Absolutely. The mind is such a tremendous tool for potential you know to be able to lift us uh but we can also be our own worst enemy when we when we start thinking in the you know the two the two enemies are really thinking in the past like oh how did i make that mistake you know what a stupid thing you know you're beating yourself up for it 
Or as you said, Ben, like thinking in the future, like, oh, what's coming up next? I need to worry about that. Like, no, you can't do either of those things, right? You have to train the mind to be able to focus right into the here and now. How has COVID changed that for you, Tawny, Ben? Because, you know, there's a fair amount of anxiety out there and fear and doubt, okay, revolving around a lot of things. Like, you know, even as an athlete, like, if you decide to get a vaccination, what's that going to do to me, right? What if I get COVID? What if this happens? So, you know, it's challenging enough for us just, you know, just living our lives, you know, just doing our thing, going to work. But then we pile on that, you know, sort of athletic endeavor uh, that both of you are attempting to do, which is fairly large. How has that how is the pandemic and these doubts and anxieties and these other factors around you, how have they affected you? And, and I'm just curious uh, of both the short-term and potential long-term effects for you. I think it's what happens if I can't get back to what I was or I want to be. If I've been delayed 18 months in performing or executing, it's, it's just COVID's like an injury an injury with an unknown outcome if I'm going to be able to return to what I want to do. So with COVID happening, it's like, well, I'm only getting older. You know, someone like Tawny, Olympians only have so much of a, of a shelf life. I don't want to say that in a negative way, but they only have, have so much of a window, right? Before someone younger and fresher with, it's going to be able to come in and do more, right? And, and I think that's the same thing with any athlete. And so as we're being delayed and stalled and postponed, and not being able to go work out or go, go train. It's like, okay, so when the time, is it ever going to come back? And when it does, am I going to be able to execute at the level I was before or greater? Are my goals and dreams shattered? And so it feels very much like an injury with an unknown, you know, emotionally and psychologically. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back and do what I wanted to do or perform at the level I even was before. Yeah, that, I agree with that, that fear that you may not reach where you once were. It's always been in my brain, like that, that whole thing since COVID started has always been like, oh no, if I have to stop for a whole year. How do I get that back? How do I get 12 months of hard training back? And, and it's hard. It's, it's not, I don't want to sit here and sound like, oh, it's easy. It's fine. Just kind of get over it. It's not, it's not, it's something that I think it's individualistic um, versus like, like a general consensus. I think we all can say that, yeah, it's hard. And there's always those little doubts and there's things that are going to creep in. And that's that fear of like, okay, if I don't like, what am I going to do if I don't get to that point again? Uh, or what are people going to think? Or what am I going to think of myself? That kind of thing. I think that we can't, in order to live happily here and now kind of going back to the being present in order to be happy here and be able to, again, be present in the moment and to really take in and just be here in this, in this point in time, we can't focus on those what ifs. We can't focus on the, the doubts. We, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Like we were saying earlier, who knows like if another pandemic is just going to break out tomorrow, we don't know. I think that it's great that we can, recognize what has happened and what the last year and a half has taught us and really take those things and 
learn how to say, okay, yeah, we need, we need to be realistic about there is a possibility that that might happen. I may not be at the level or may not get to the level I once was. And somebody else might come in and like Tim was saying, um, kind of take my place, if you will. But I don't think that those possibilities should hinder us for still pursuing things that mean a lot to us. I'm really big about following your heart and following your dreams and pursuing what you want to make happen, even though disregarding anything that kind of comes your way, hurdles, if you will. <laughs> um, for me, the, just the, those possibilities, those what ifs, like there's always gonna be a what if in any aspect of life, a career, you know, kids, family, your athletic pursue, anything like that. There's always gonna be a what if, and there's many doors that are gonna be able to be opened or closed. And we don't have the ability, of, unfortunately, to see our, what if we went this way? Or what happens if we do this or anything like that? I think we'll drive ourselves crazy if we think about that kind of stuff versus focusing on right now, what you are in control of, using your mental space in a positive way Flood it with light, flood it with what you want, pursue what your goals are, pursue what your dreams are. And when those things come in, when those little fears, those doubts kind of creep in, you can recognize that you don't need to shut them off. You don't need to put them away. You can recognize that they're there. But I think if we can find a way to use those as fuel, maybe just taking moment or taking control of this moment right now, that's the best that we can do. And that's all we can do is our decision right now we can't make a decision five minutes in the future right now we can't do that so I think it's too hard for us to say those what ifs like they can't control us Tim you you told me in getting ready for this that you had two great people to invite along in, in Ben and Tony to talk about this and I'm just like in awe you know because like they're so mature and, and so insightful yeah. into the psychology yeah. of this. It's almost like yeah. I can just shut up. I mean, they, they're really explaining it, <laughs> explaining yeah. it so well, aren't they? Well, and, and I, I was just thinking like, oh my goodness, I'm going to use Tony's advice for my life. <laughs> Called the Tony advice corner, you know, um, and same <laughs> with Ben, you know, I mean, it's, it's um, we're learning as even as individuals here, maybe how to refocus ourselves in this pandemic era to make it through, to make it to the other side. And I believe that's what most athletes are trying to do right now. But I can say, Tawny, that for a lot of us, uh, whether we're athletes or not, you know, those doubts and those fears, they're, they're hard to control. You know, you have some mental discipline, Tawny, that many individuals may not have. And so I, I'd like, you know, and I, I think your tips and, and so forth, they have that mental mindset, super important. Um, but I've run across some athletes here at the Institute that they're crushed. They are in a depressive state. Um, they can't break out. They can't motivate to exercise. They can't get out of bed. They're moving towards clinical depression. And I fear for them. I, I fear for, and this is why we're kind of having this discussion because while you and Ben have, have navigated this pretty well. And we're all learning from your examples and your, your words of wisdom. I, I'm pretty concerned for a lot of my patients, a lot of my clients and athletes out there and, and individuals in general, um, that they cannot necessarily be in the moment. That uh, one of the things that we're aware about with COVID is that um, 
you know, when you're anxious and you're doubtful and you're fearful, um, it affects your immune system and it may put you, may put you at more risk, um, to not do well. So I'd be interested to hear also from Dr. Murphy, like for those individuals out there, how do we get them? How do, how do we move them to the point where maybe Tawny and Ben are at, um, to be in that moment, to, to not let the fear and the anxiety of COVID consume them and their sport and their, their aspirations. Um, and when we talk about these aspirations, we often think about, well, this is a very individualistic thing, right? This is Tawny and this is Ben's thing. And, and they're so selfish because they want to do this. Right. But I, as I said before, in an earlier conversation before we got online with Dr. Murphy, I said, sport is super embedded in our culture. In the way we live, the way we view each other and so forth. And, and your successes and failures, Tawny and, and Ben are ours. We live vicariously through you um, often. And I believe sport elevates us. It elevates our spirit. Um, it helps us thrive. Um, we know from mirror neurons that we have in our brain, we're actually, when we watch you, we're actually, we're like, it's us and we're living through you. And so I'm just curious, Dr. Murphy, like, I think maybe these two are the anomaly <laughs> because I just deal with so many athletes on a regular basis and patients that they're not where Donnie and Ben are at, right? I'm actually trying to give them resources and books and videos and meditations, but do you have any sort of perspective on that, that you can help guide those who aren't where Ben and Tony are to, to kind of move in that direction? Well, I think, you know, what they've said is is offering the path out and it's not an easy path but i think what you're hearing um in different forms from both ben and tawny is you have to deal with it right you have to confront it um you said earlier like you know what do you what do you say to that coach who wants to really squeeze the last piece out of the turnip and really you got to be focused and we found this you know back when we developed the career assistance program at the uh, olympic training center a lot of coaches were like, no, we don't want that offered to our athletes because we want them focused on Barcelona, you know, or Atlanta or, you know, whatever the Olympics was. They, we can't be distracting them. And what we found, you know, in talking to the athletes was that anxiety was already there. You know, we're human beings as athletes, right? And it's like, they're already starting to think like, well, what will I do after the, and then, oh, no, I got to put that thought out of my mind because I don't know how to deal with it right? There's no answer to that. And what we were really providing was some answers, just some ways to think about it, things that you can do in advance, you know? And so I would say that, you know, for those athletes that are struggling with this pandemic situation, the, the only way out is really to confront the reality of that and start to think like, well, how am I going to change myself to acknowledge the reality of this situation and then do the best that I can to navigate it through it. You know, I'm very much guided. A great man died this year. His name was uh, Dr. Aaron Beck. He was 100 years old. Uh, he was the founder of uh, what's known as cognitive therapy for depression. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, you said like a lot of your clients, Tim, uh, are depressed. And, and what Beck found was that people who get depressed, they have three things. They start to think very negatively about the world around them. They start to think very negatively about themselves and they start to lose hope for the future. And I think that is something that the pandemic has challenged a lot of us. You know, you, you look around the world and think, well, this is really bad, the pandemic. And, you know, 
is it going to end? You know, is there hope for the future? And I'm not handling this well, you know, and, and Beck said, the only way to change that is to change your own thoughts, to change the way that you think about it. And you, you, it takes, it's hard work. And, uh, you know, there's no one easy answer for any one individual. As, as Tony said, it's going to be different for every person, but it, it does, as Ben said, you know, it begins in our own minds. We have to change our own thought process to change the reality that we live in. I think, I think one of the big things you highlighted there, Dr. Murphy's, it's simple and people don't want to hear it, but do the work. I mean, how many times have we been told that, right? And I think strategically, and I guess from a, a general perspective, I believe in the people who I coach, I believe life is built on tolerances. As long as we're willing to tolerate something, we will not move into a point growth change, or we were not willing to move into a position of change. It's when we are no longer willing to tolerate something that we will tend to want to institute a change or institute growth. And we know that there's, there's no comfort in the growth zone, right? And so I think a lot of the things that were highlighted by Tani and yourself is like, okay, what are the easy wins I can get now? What are the short-term things that I can do right now this week to help navigate this change my mindset and program my, my optic on how I'm going to approach this. Cause if I think of the COVID as a, if I look back, I'm like, it's been almost two years. Like I've been working from home for, for since, since March of last year, I've been in my home and I look at these people and like, and it's not just athletes, but the general populace. I mean, they're not out in the sunshine. They're not getting vitamin D. Think of the depression. Think of all the, the hormonal changes uh, in fact, I was at the gym before here and I, there was, I saw right on the news, blood pressure, study shows blood pressure has gotten higher since COVID, right? Probably due to lack of physical and obviously due to psychological as well, right? Yeah, blood pressure, weight gain, yeah. substance use. I mean, you name it during yeah. the pandemic, it's all been, it's all been up. Yeah. And so, so I think, I think what we're talking about tonight is, is, is a pivotal concept and a pivotal thing that, that needs to start being coached and talked through. If, if I was, if I was a counselor or a psych, psychologist or a psychiatrist, I'd probably be saying, what are you, are you sitting at home before I, before I write someone an SSRI, I'm going to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> daily to get outside? What are you doing to become active? Is there things you can do in your home? Well, you know, I I shared this story, I think with Ben about this, about just getting out, right? Just going outside. I had a patient just last week um, say to me, and and, they were like, one, they came in like, Tim, I'm really tense. I'm I'm stressed out. I'm like, okay. So I'm, I, this person was from uh, the West coast. And I was like, I, you know, I didn't know them. I said, well, what, you know, what's stressing you out? And he's like, well, you know, I just, I'm really stressed out because I can't get my baby vaccinated. And we haven't been outside in a year. And I'm like, hang on. Um, you haven't taken your child outside in a year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I'm afraid they're going to get COVID. And then I was like, um, I think the chances are pretty low if you go outside with your baby out into the sunshine and go outside and they're like, no, 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 no. I got to have the vaccination first before I take them outside. And this is coming from a very college educated individual. And I'm, you know, I'm just kind of flabbergasted. I'm like, um, 
and I tried to like educate and, and say, it's okay to take your baby outside and you should go outside too, but they've been hunkered down like in a bunker since this pandemic, well, maybe for a year since their child was born, but they won't take their child outside to get sunlight because they're afraid the child's going to get um, COVID. And then, you know, it starts to kind of spin in my head and questions to be like, where did that, where did that um, misunderstanding happen? Did it happen through social media, through lack of education? Um, obviously there's fear there. There's lots of fear. Um, and I'm not discounting individuals fear around COVID because it's a real thing, but I do see some of the fear being amplified and affecting and, and being a barrier, being a hurdle to individuals actually um, breaking free of, you know, really themselves and, and what's happening here and that they're stuck. And oftentimes, you know, even myself, I'm with them for about an hour, two hours. I, I have a really hard time reaching them, Dr. Murphy, and being like, I, I, I understand your fear. I understand your apprehension, your anxiety, but I don't think if you're outside running on the Wasatch front or on the top of the mountain, you really need to wear a mask when you run by yourself on the mountain, 9,000 foot up, but I do see it. And so I'm wondering if there's an education piece here, Dr. Murphy, or if there's some other factors at play that are essentially inhibiting individuals to engage in the kind of heavy or deep work that's necessary, even some of the short gains that are necessary to move them to that, that um, Tawny and Ben have been able to engage in. I mean, short answer, no, education doesn't work. Um, and it's just like anything else. I mean, where did, how did Tawny and Ben get to where they are today and achieved everything they have? You know, they've done it through uh, their own initiative and through goals that they've set for themselves. And they've talked so eloquently about, you know, how they've struggled with those and, and overcome them. And I think that client that you are talking about uh, is, is a great example of how they've just created basically a prison in their own mind, right? So again, it's their thoughts that are keeping them from going out and enjoying the sun and, and hopefully lifting some of that depression and so on. It's, it's their mindset. And, uh, you know, as something as a, as a psychotherapist, I always have to remind myself is like, I can't change my client, right? They have to want to, they have to be the one that wants to change. So one thing, one strategy though I can do is, you know, everyone's ambivalent about change, right? Ben, ben made a great point about that, like the tolerance for it, right? It's like, if, you, if you're like, okay, with not changing, then you probably won't change. But everyone's ambivalent, you know, like people, even people who don't really want to change, there's a part of them where, oh, I do want to, you know, stop drinking or stop smoking or start exercising more, you know, but I, I can't. So what I do is I amplify that ambivalence. I actually get them almost to take like the opposite side and argue. I'm saying, no, no, don't do that. You know, stay, stay at home. Don't, no, no, I, I would like to get out more, you know, I get them to be the one to make that argument. So again, it's, it's, it, all I can do is sort of be the facilitator to help them in that process of, of changing for themselves. I think everything you guys have been saying has really come down to one thing about, um, like Ben was saying with the tolerance. Um, I feel like the pandemic has given a lot of, um, a lot of opportunities to be comfortable with the situation that we're in 
and not and with those fear components that have come into play as far as like extreme is not as extreme as not going outside not being able to get outside and see the sun all those different things i think the mentality that most people that are fearful of going outside or doing the things that they used to do it just begins in the mind like we've been talking about all night we have to there has to be a way to help these people see that you can't, you're going to be stuck in a prison, as we said before, you're a prison of your own mind. And if you're going to stay in that place, then it's going to be very hard to break out of that. But if you make the decision to escape those things, get away from those triggers that bring negative feelings and emotions, get away from those things that bring anxieties, turn off the social media, turn off the news, get back into nature, reconnect with what you believe in and your thoughts and your spirituality and things like that. Get back to where you are instead of what's happening out here in the world and find the things that like bring you joy, those kinds of things. We need to get back to finding those things that bring happiness and love and light and all those types of things instead of focusing so much on the heavy things of the world and not saying that we should be ignoring those things because they are important. But I think that a shift in mindset and making the choice to not remain stuck every day, I think that's gonna be important for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, turning off the cell, cell phone and stop doom scrolling, good good step for everybody, I think. That's what, that's what I was just gonna say, Dr. Murphy. I think a lot of people ask me, what do I do? And uh, one of my coaches who I'm working with right now, he's, he's challenging me to, you need to take some self-isolation from media, from your phone. You need to shut down anything that is, that's something that you can pull for self-instant gratification or something that's at your fingertips that's going to distract you from the connections, purpose, spirituality that Tawny brought up, that needs to be put aside. And so I, I would challenge anyone listening to this of, of looking at a way to go through a period of self-isolation, even just for a couple of weeks to start. And if you can go through a month, you'll be there. I think most people that have, have taken a time out from social media and all those external heavy things that weigh on us, uh, they'll realize that they come out of it feeling more positive, more connected with themselves and not only emotionally and psychologically, but physically, because we know all that's connected. Right. Um, I, I, I wonder if we could take the population and check everyone's cortisol. I wonder how much higher it would be compared to what it was before the pandemic. I'm like, wait, absolutely. Um, people, uh, you know, people come to Dr. Spiker's Institute. I mean, people come in, all the time with, with stuff that's stress related as he's, as he's, he's brought on. And so uh, I think that's an important part of it is, is again, removing that from your life so you can focus and well, that's hard to do. Yeah. And, and you mentioned hard to do. Well, I'm going to tell you that for a lot of individuals, Ben, like you have the capacity to, to break away for about a week or two, like the isolation piece. There's some individuals that can't do that. Um, I've challenged them. Um, I have patients that hit the table and I'm like, I, can you just, can we put your phone like over here, like not on the actual treatment table with you? And they're like, no, 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 I got to keep it with me, you know, in case something happens. And I'm like, well, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, like, and so I think for some individuals, it might be two minutes, believe it or not. I mean, to, to isolate themselves, right? It could be a, a day, a week. And so, when I try to teach patients with meditation and visual imagery, I really kind of 
you know, really focus on like these small little segments. And then over time we build them and we build them and they stack on one another over time. So I think that is an awesome suggestion. I think it's a great suggestion. I think everyone should be doing it. I think everybody should take a, a full isolation mental break from this world, unplug completely. I do have to say though, that um, for many individuals, they've got to take it in really, really small chunks or really overwhelms them and can make them more stressed out, believe it or not. At least what but I've that's seen a great so strategy is to, is to start small and build from there. I mean, I think Tony was, was talking about that, you know, and uh, I think that is a, a really good approach because you start to see the benefits of it, right? It starts to be becoming reinforcing and then it, it snowballs. And I think we said the what and the why. And so I tell any, I tell our, our listeners out there, just Google it, go to YouTube. There's so many videos. Just type in self-isolation in, your, in YouTube and you will pull up a whole bunch of videos and stuff that'll help navigate you and start getting you through that. And uh, it's challenging for me. I made it about two and a half weeks and, and I'm talking all social media, all news and you know, and uh, turning off my watch, my smartwatch. And so I'm not getting briefs from Google or Apple or whatever it may be, but how I felt physically, emotionally, and, and mentally was, it was a breath of fresh air. And since then, I've even closed some of my social media accounts. Like I've just said, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm just going to do this. And it's been so much easier, like to pick up a book. And before I would have never picked up a book, I would have, you know, I would have like got on Instagram or got on Twitter or saw what was who, what controversies are out there about the pandemic today, regardless of how we feel about it. Right. I feel but like I do. that's giving me more confusion yeah. than clarity. And having that isolation has allowed me to follow my instinct and learn to trust my instinct, which is now translated to my, my athletic abilities and, and my ability to, to execute as an athlete, which is another point. And I'm going to say something kind of crazy. Okay. I'm going to say it's okay to turn off the in with Dr. Tim for like just a few weeks. Well, it, it's okay because we only do about these about once a month, <laughs> but uh, I, I do think the, uh, the isolation piece is important and, and, and just, you know, and I, and, and we'll post up a little later, some of the resources of, you know, that are out there, some of Dr. Murphy's work and others that can help guide individuals. Um, but it is correct. There's, there's a lot available out there. And for my patients, sometimes they just get overwhelmed with the whole meditation thing. And I'm just like, Hey, um, start with a five minute YouTube video about meditating in the morning to set your day. Right. And then go from there. But I really try to encourage my patients. And I, I think you might say the same, Dr. Murphy, be easy on yourself. Okay. Give yourself um, some latitude to make mistakes, to go off track. Oh, I ate six cookies today, or I got on social media for several hours and I, I went into the Facebook sort of void of time. Right. And so I think we need to be also a little cognizant of what we're trying to achieve some of this mental clarity, some bring back and, and really bolster our mental health during this pandemic era. I think we have to be also a little bit uh, patient um, with ourselves that, um, you know, it may not go as well as we thought, like what Tawny was saying earlier, there's so many parallels for sport and life. Um, what Tawny was saying earlier about, Hey, it didn't go with us well that time, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to keep trying. Right. Just because I couldn't keep my, you know, keep a focus on my breath as I was meditating or keep a focus on the visual imagery of me completing this event. That doesn't mean that 
stop, you know, that just means we need to keep working and we need to keep trying a little harder. And then we might need some additional help and some additional resources outside of ourself and other areas. I like how you said that because it's what it is, is committing to that process too. And committing to living a peaceful life and committing to finding ways to overcome the difficult things and committing to just doing what you need to do to navigate the new world, basically, if we want to say that. Um, and like you said, give yourself latitude as well. It's not going to be easy. And there's going to be days where it's like, maybe you want to eat six cookies. Maybe you want to go out for dinner at, you know, fast food restaurants, whatever it is. Like, I don't think that we should limit ourselves on those things that we, for lack of better terms, if we want to treat ourselves every once in a while, why not? You know, we shouldn't, I don't know. There's a lot of things that, and it's not just food related or anything like that, but there's a lot of things that come along with the commitment process. If you're committed to, like for me, I'm committed to pursuing track and field right now in my life, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to, limit my I'm not going to limit myself on the things that I can enjoy outside of that I think uh I think it's interesting I I always say how do we get out of dissatisfaction because our, our confidence is low maybe because our confidence is low it's getting small wins so I have to strategically and intentionally consciously set up what are my wins going to be and if I am having a hard time what were my small wins this week? I mean, I'd ask Tawny this. I mean, Tawny, you say you go, go, go when it's when you guys are in season, right? A lot of athletes like myself, we train six days a week. I would be very hard on myself when I didn't have 600% days in the gym. And I think I finally had someone finally sat down and said, look, if you have a few days that are 60, 70, 80%, one day that's 100%, then one day that's like 20% that's okay. You did a good, you had a good week. You can't, you, I think that goes back to what you're saying with being patient with yourself, but Tony, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you have days when you're like, man, you know, I just don't feel like I was able to get the speed I wanted or, Hey, my, my hamstrings are feeling worse than what they normally would be. I mean, how has that been for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it happens to everybody and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm perfect and that I can just go through everything just fine. There are many times where the workouts are tough. I, or I come home from work and I just, I cannot give more than 20%. And for the longest time, it was like, it was so, I was so hard on myself. Like, oh, if you didn't, like you were saying, if I didn't go 600%, then that was just a complete waste of my time, which is wrong because if you're living at a state of heightened senses, like 100% all the time, you're going to just burn out. And that's what happened to me a lot when I, before I realized the, or had the realization of the mental, you know, epiphany, um, you know, mental training and all that. And when I was like going nonstop 100% all the time, I found myself getting sick. I found myself tired. I found myself doing like for my classes that I was working on different projects, they weren't up to par. And it was just, I was starting to see that things were slipping through the cracks. And in a society where it's just go, go, go all the time and you have to be the best you can be at everything, it was very hard on me. And I'm not gonna act like it was, it wasn't enjoyable. There was a lot of point, points in my time doing you know, either high school or college or what I'm, what I'm doing now where it's like, I don't want that. And so I've committed to 
giving myself that freedom to back off, take it easy. You know, if you need to take a day off, take a day off. If you need to take a week off, take a week off. But finding the ability to give yourself that permission to ease up, relax, kind of take it easy, even though we're are, we are doing stuff that's um, are in our training, it's very intense, it's very cycle specific, it's very important that we stay on top of it. It's also important that you make time for yourself and make time for your mental space and your body and listen to your muscles. If you hurt, you can't perform at your top level if you're in pain and you physically can't walk because your muscles are so sore. That's not, it's not sensible. And I think that something else that kind of going back to our talk about youth athletes or just any athlete in general, we have to be okay with letting those percentages for the day be a little bit lower than 100%. I'm not going to sit here and demand 100% hard effort out of my athletes all day, every day, because that's not going to be functional for them. There's components that come outside into these into the training that are going to benefit and will help you get that 100% if we're going to talk numbers. The things that are like mental training or what's happening outside in your home or me caring about them as a person versus an athlete or me caring about myself as a person versus an athlete, that kind of stuff and recognizing that, that helps me a lot. Yeah, and I want to thank you both for pointing out uh, the reality of that because uh, certainly research in sports psychology backs you up 100%, right? That the road to burnout is when you are dictated to by what other you know, people outside are saying, you have to do this. You know, you got to go 100% all the time. And you're both saying like, no, it's okay to set your own goals and to, and to set, you know, one day is 100%, one day is 80%, and then have a 20% rest day. That's fine. You know, even a 0% rest day every now and then uh, is fine. It's, it's the road to, uh, to good health. And uh, so, again, you know, like listening, as you said, Tony, to your to your own body and, and really being in tune with that and, and what you really need is is uh, really uh, important. And so, listen, I, again, I want to thank both of you, Tony and Ben. I, I mean, I just feel so energized after this discussion and conversation today because it's yeah. really reinforced so many really important truths uh, it's 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 about training smarter not training harder right yeah absolutely and and training smarter for mental health as well right and so we know the mind body connection and and to bring both of those together is going to really sort of engender a, a sort of a you know a well-being that we need to achieve not only to be functioning here in our society as contributing members in a positive way, but also to be able to excel as, as an athlete. And I, I really applaud the work um, that you've done in that area, Dr. Murphy, but also the insights and, and those truths that uh, Tawny and Ben have brought forward. I think the challenge in this time and space, and, and really in all time and space, but even more so in the pandemic era, in this COVID pandemic era, so how do we hold on to those truths? How do we sort of uh, capitalize on those truths? How do we put them into action, right? And I think, you know, Tawny and Ben have given us some really awesome action items uh, for us out there, not only as individuals, but also as athletes to say, this is how we put it into action. These are the sort of mental mindset 
techniques that we're using that have enabled us to move through this pandemic and continue to allow us to move in this pandemic era as athletes who want to make a change, not only for ourselves, but also for others. And so with that, I mean, it, there's so much that happened here, everybody. I mean, it's hard to kind of unpack like all the nuggets that have come out of here, um, which make me super excited. We could have like a whole series on all the stuff that you guys mentioned, but I'm, I think I'm going to probably bring it to a close here and, and really just and something we always ask of, of all of our presenters that come on to the end. Um, because, you know, we're trying to present here at the end, just cutting edge uh, topics to improve your health and performance. And I believe that's what's happened today, but the world continues. Your impact continues. Your place in everyone's lives continues. So with that being said, and, and maybe we start, you know, from Ben and then Tawny and then maybe Dr. Murphy, um, what impact do you want to have on humanity? And we'll start with Ben. That's a, that's a deep question, Tim. I think for me, I've gone through such a journey of, of losing, you know, a lot of weight and being in a place where I didn't have the mindset or the motivation or the belief system in myself, nor the people that sur I surrounded myself with to be able to make change. And so where I'm at now as an amateur competitive athlete, going on five years now, I've held my weight off. I put on a lot of muscle. I'm in the top percentile of strength. If we were to take the general populace, right. For me, I want to take that and bring it to people that are not athletes. Cause I bring a perspective where there's people out there that don't know how to get active. They don't know how to go to the gym. They go and they look at diets, they look at programs, they see someone that's a, a lean 6% or oiled down trying to teach them through a video or an app on how to do that. I'm like, that's not the typical person that's going to go into the gym. I want to impact the, the typical normal person that's in their pajamas, doesn't know how to get started, feels intimidated, doesn't know what to do with their mind or their body and help give them some frameworks and tips that they can adopt and adapt to their psyche and their optic to hit the goals and what they want. And I think that comes down to both emotional coaching and it comes down to physical coaching. So if I could affect one person out there and, and help remove those barriers and get them, you know, as Dr. Murphy said, like, look, I'm tolerating this, but there's a big part of me that really wants to make a change. I'd love to be there to help be that catalyst to implement and make that change. That was amazing. I don't know how to top that at all. <laughs> um, I think my impact, it's kind of always been ingrained in me. Um, and it's just given me the last few years have given me the opportunity to really identify that and identify how I can help others define this. Um, we talked a lot tonight about mental training and how important it is to be the master of your own mind and your own perspective. Something that I hope to impact people with is um, just to dream, dream big. And if you have a dream that is that you think that is so far out there that no one will believe you, it doesn't matter. You can be the biggest dreamer out there. Just be flexible with your methods but determined with your purpose. I think it's important that 
we are able to set those goals and set those dreams and have those things in our lives that give us that hope and give us that desire and give us something to pursue, no matter if it's lifting, no matter if it's running, no matter if it's a career path, whatever it is that you are passionate about, I think it's important that you hold on to those things and you pursue it. And, you know, I mean, even if it's a something that comes along like an injury or a worldwide pandemic, whatever it is that comes your way, find some way to still make it happen. Be stubborn with your purpose, make your dreams happen. And no matter what, just keep going for it. There's ways to get around the stresses. There's ways to get around anxiety. There's ways to get out of depression. There are so many things out there that are good and full of light and love. And I think it's important for us to identify those and really hold on to those things and bring them with us wherever we go. Well, there's no doubt that both of you are going to have a massive impact on humanity, especially with your mindsets and where you've been and what you've accomplished from losing several hundred pounds and transforming yourself to pursuing an Olympic gold medal and the trials and tribulations that have, have led up to that. And, you know, I know that some parents, you know, like when kids say, Hey, mom, dad, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, I, you know, it's going to happen. Right. And then sometimes these, these goals and these visions and these, these sort of aspirations seem unrealistic. Like, Oh, you know, the rest of our family, we're all heavy, right. You know, you, it's okay. Right. I've heard that a thousand times. And then, um, you know, then, well, you know, only a couple people will ever make go to the, to the Olympics, you know, right. You maybe shouldn't hurt yourself, you know, and that sort of thing. I've heard that from parents too. Right. But if we can support those individuals, if we can support ourselves to accomplish those goals so that we can impact humanity, um, man, what better thing can we do, right? And what better thing can we do than to enjoy and relish the process? As uh, Tom Bilyeu will often say, uh, success is not guaranteed, the process and suffering is, <laughs> right? So if we can literally sort of identify that the process is going to enable us to grow and to help others, and not only to help others, but help ourselves and, and not be so focused on like, I got to get that 100% all the time, you know, that if, if we can just kind of attune to the process, and it, it applies for business too, right? We all have goals in business as well. But the process really is probably the most enriching, enriching thing versus I just competed. And maybe that's why we're a little down because we enjoyed the process so much, right? It made us grow. Yeah. And I smoked my nervous system and all the happy chemicals at my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that, Tim. And I, I think it's hard. And I think we got to really evaluate who we surround ourselves with as well, because we all know that people have a hard time picturing other people doing things that they don't think they can do, you know? And so if someone doesn't think they can do it, then they don't think I can do it. And, and we've, we've had that happen before. And so I think that's an interesting point you bring up is focus on what you want. That's what Tony said. If you have a dream, do it, go for the work. If you have the tenacity and the ferocity to go for it, I mean, despite whatever people around you might say, Hey, well, we don't want you to get hurt or, Hey, and I was told many times, like, you'll always be a morbidly obese guy. It's in your genetics. And I'm like, no, bull crap. I'm going to change. I need to change. I am no longer willing to tolerate where I'm at in my life. And I cannot dig my way out of a hole. <laughs> and so surrounding myself with people that can help, you know, Dr. Spiker and his team at the Positional Release Therapy Institute, they put me back together whenever I break something 
um, you know, surrounding myself with, with other like-minded athletes and surrounding myself with a community that's going to help positively influence and support me is another big part of that. But above all, I have my boundaries, I have my purpose, and I have my identity, and I have my dreams, just like what Tani said. Dr. Murphy, I, I'm, I and many other people out there are fully aware of the impact you've had on humanity, which has been quite, quite impactful um, through your work as a sports psychologist and advocates for you know, healthy youth sports. But um, I'm curious where you're at now. Like, um, what do you want to continue to do? And, and, and you know, what kind of impact do you want to have on humanity going forward? Well, I think it comes down to the sort of thing we're doing right now. And uh, again, thank you so much for inviting me and, and uh, allowing me to get to meet Ben and Tawny. And I just can't say enough about the goals that you both just stated for yourselves. And I wish you all the best with those. They're, they're wonderful, wonderful goals. Um, and as you said, Tim, I've been, I've been lucky in my career. You know, when I was 21, I left Australia and came to the United States because I wanted to get a, a, a career in clinical psychology and I couldn't get it back home and uh, pursued my dream of becoming a sports psychologist. And uh, as you said, like so many people told me, even in graduate school, like, ah, what a waste of time. Like that'll, that'll never come to anything. Sports psychology is it's, uh, frivolous. It's not serious. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't study this stuff. And, uh, and I've been lucky enough to have a career for 40 years in this. And uh, what I've learned is, is, you know, what I value the most, honestly, is, is the relationships, you know, helping people. And uh, so that's what I'm going to continue to do. And, uh, you know, that was part of this tonight is, is just contributing to something that's a, a teaching tool to be able to help others. And uh, boy, what the way Ben and, and Tony expressed it, I, as I said, uh, better than I could ever say. And I've been, I've been studying this stuff for 40 years. So, so well done. Yeah. And I, I would say there has to be a, a research qualitative study in here somewhere. <laughs> as most people know, I'm also a PhD researcher. And so there's just so much rich, 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 rich stuff that came out of this tonight. And, and I'm just so super grateful for, you know, really kind of kicking off this relationship with you all and, um, and how it's going to affect relationships for others going forward, not only with themselves, the relationship with their mental health, their relationship with their physical health and bringing both of those together, but how those things can help others and in the relationships they have as they move forward, not only as an athlete, but even once their athletic career is over or changes. Um, so I really am super grateful for you guys for that and, and really super grateful for helping others in the way that you've done tonight. And so thank you. And hopefully we will see you again on a follow-up episode of the end with Dr. Tim. So with that, thank you everyone. And we hope to see you again and hope that you hear us again on a uh, future episode of the end with Dr. Tim. So with that, thank you. Good night and stay truthful to yourself, your aspirations, your vision, your goal, and be stubborn with how much tolerance you have for letting it go. Thanks everyone.